I solemnly pledge myself before God and in the presence of this assembly to pass my life in purity and to practice my profession faithfully. I will abstain from whatever is deleterious and mischievous and will not take or knowingly administer any harmful drug. I will do all in my power to maintain and elevate the standard of my profession and will hold in confidence all personal matters committed to my keeping and all family affairs coming to my knowledge in the practice of my calling. With loyalty will I endeavor to aid the physician in his work and devote myself to the welfare of those committed to my care. This is the Nightingale Pledge. Happy Nurses Week. I am your host, Naomi, and this is Mosaic in Progress. As always, check the show notes for content and trigger warnings. I have retreated to my porch to record this episode, so there went a very loud car. I don't know if it will pick up on this audio. Um, we'll see how this recording goes. Um, this may not be the most effective place for me to record, but I have noticed that ambient sounds are not usually picked up much unless they're very nearby on my recordings. So I'm going to apologize in advance if this recording turns out badly. But I wanted to give a shout out to my fellow nurses on this episode. Yesterday was Nurses Day and began Nurses Week, which is May 6th through the 12th. And if you know a nurse, give them a hug or a coffee or a bottle of wine or a spa day or a massage or something. Um, because nursing as a profession is both very rewarding and also sucks. And I wanted to talk today about my journey to become a nurse and my experiences in nursing. Um, because I think that it is a huge part of who I am and my journey and... I think that I kind of compartmentalize it away from the rest of who I am when in fact it is a huge part of who I am. I think of myself as a nurse before anything else that I would label myself as. And my journey in nursing was very laden with trauma and tumultuous. I decided I wanted to be a nurse in 2011, um, a few months after I was sexually assaulted, and I was sitting in a waiting room in a hospital while my dad was having surgery, and my sisters were talking about their career plans and college plans, and my older sister was talking about going back to school, maybe becoming a nutritionist, and my little sister was talking about her plans and what she wanted to do with music, and my mom was sitting there just completely falling apart and talking about how, what if he really had cancer, what if he died, she hadn't worked in over 30 years. Her teaching license wasn't good anymore. No one would hire her. She had no workable skills. What would she do if he died? And I realized that my mother was completely incapable of taking care of herself, which was a terrifying thing to realize as a 23-year-old. And so I... I sat there and it was literally right in front of my face and I was like, I could be a nurse. I could do that. I could, yeah, I could do that. I can take care of people. I'm pretty good at taking care of people. And the next day when we went to see my dad in the post-surgical unit, 
uh, his CNA who was taking care of him was very kind and dishonest. Uh, he, uh, he was still very drugged and he asked her, you know, I know what the RN stands for. What's the LPN stand for? What's the CNA stand for? And she said, told him what LPN is licensed practical nurse and CNA is certified nursing assistant. He said, what does that mean? She said, um, pretty much all I do all day is take vital signs and I make beds sometimes. Um, but that's pretty much all I do. And if I could go back in time, I always say I would, I would punch her in the face. I wouldn't really punch her in the face. I'm not a violent person, but I would certainly go back in time and call her a liar because of her words. I decided to go to CNA school to see if I had what it took to be a nurse if I could work in that environment if I could be around all that stuff because I've always kind of had a weak stomach and I've been like the sickly weak person that's who I was known as and so I uh I went to CNA school because of what she said I was like I can take vital signs all day that's, that's nothing that is not what CNAs do that is not what CNAs in hospitals do. If anyone tells you that, I want you to tell them they are a liar. Those are lies and they are a liar. And that's what I would do if I could go back in time. I would look her in the eye and I would say, those are lies and you are a liar. There is so many bed baths and so much cleaning up of poop and pee. There is so much gross things that you deal with as a CNA. And you get run to death. You have to be the gopher for your nurse going and getting ice and drinks and snacks and drawing blood and there's so much more that you do than just taking vital signs but I think I am glad that she was not fully transparent in her duties because if she had been I probably wouldn't have done it and if I hadn't done it I would have never become a nurse and as stressful as this job is, and as many times a day as I think, I don't want to do this anymore. I honestly can't see myself doing anything else and being fulfilled in it. As I said, I was a CNA before I was a nurse. I decided to become a nurse in 2011. Shortly after being sexually assaulted, I was kind of in a period of my life where nothing made sense. I I had no sense of purpose. I had no direction. I had no desire for life or to keep going. And I found that calling and a big part of it was that I wanted to help my mom to help my parents both financially and with knowledge because neither one of them have been in good health since I was in my early teens and I thought this this will be something that I can do to redeem what has happened to me in a way to give it purpose and meaning and there are so many people who say everything happens for a reason and I don't necessarily think that everything happens for a reason but I do think that you can find a reason you can find meaning and purpose and give it meaning and purpose if you choose to do so and I chose to do so I chose to view becoming a nurse as the way that I won the battle with the man who assaulted me and that may not be a thing that resonates with everyone, but it resonated very deeply with me that 
it was my way to get my life back. And my last year of nursing school, Rachel Platten's fight song was very big on the radio and it resonated so much with me, especially she, she mentions two years in the song and it had been two years and I was, I was coming back. I was me again, but I was a better me and it was a huge journey. I, at the time that I decided to become a nurse, I was suicidal. I was self-harming. I was self-medicating my PTSD with alcohol to the point of abuse. And I went from that to being a caregiver for others and having a job with responsibility and people looking up to me for some reason. That was very weird for me. So I I went to CNA school 2012. Um, it was a six-week course. I started work as a CNA in September of 2012 and did that for almost three years while I was working through nursing school. A um, couple months before I started nursing school in 2013, I started seeing a therapist for the first time in my life and was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. I remember feeling both relief and terror at that um, because there is a lot of stigma associated with bipolar disorder, especially in the workplace, and I wasn't sure if it was going to hurt my very, very new blossoming career. And I kind of hid it for a while. Um, I didn't really talk about it. I didn't tell people about it. Um, I tried to kind of keep it a secret. Um, but at the same time, I also felt relief because once I got the diagnosis and started researching, you know, what exactly it was and what it meant, my whole life kind of made sense. And I was like, ah, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's why I... That's everything makes sense now. And I read this book, An Unquiet Mind by Kay Redfield Jameson. And it was one of those books that became a friend where you read it and suddenly it's like, oh, someone understands. Someone knows what I feel like. Someone else has been there too. And to date, it is still one of my favorite books. It was a hand for me when I was down. It was a light in a very, very dark time. It was hope when I couldn't find any. And so, still living in my parents' house, secretly going to therapy, um, because my parents then and still very much believe that psychiatry and psychology is a false religion. And it doesn't have to make sense because my parents are both very, very mentally unstable. And most of what they present as logical doesn't make sense. Um, but they are very opposed to therapy and psychiatry and psychological medications and things like that and so I was secretly going to therapy they didn't know about it I would go on school days after school um in between my classes and my sister's band practice um we were going to my little sister and I were going to the same college and I was unmedicated 
Uh, I very much needed medication at the time. I was completely unstable. I was having mixed mood states and rapid mood changes and mood swings from depressed to manic. And I forget what the catalyst was, but at some point, my primary care physician put me on antidepressants. My parents were okay with that because it was a regular doctor giving it to me. And I went through, I think, about five before we found the one that works. And it didn't really work because I was not on a mood stabilizer with it. Which my therapist told me I needed to be on and my doctor wouldn't prescribe it. She told me I needed to see a psychiatrist because she didn't handle those medications regularly. And the best thing for me would be to be a see a psychiatrist. And because I was still on my parents' insurance and living in their house, and I knew they would find out if I went to see a psychiatrist and I couldn't afford to pay for it out of pocket on my own, I just didn't. And so I first became extremely manic and then extremely depressed. And then took myself off of the medication um, without guidance um, and went through withdrawal from that medication. I don't recommend any of that, um, but it was what I had to do at the time to survive with what I had going on and the resources that I had available to me. And I still have very vivid memories of being in my second semester of nursing school and being so manic that I got goosebumps listening to my professor lecture about ostomies. And I wrote in my journal planner that I had that I took notes in, everything is amazing today. And I was almost in tears listening to that lecture. And I had a therapy appointment that afternoon. And I went to my therapist. And I would always share my journal with her so she could kind of glance over it and see what had been going on. And I remember her looking at it and reading that and going, everything is amazing today. And I was probably talking about 90 miles an hour about how lucky I was to get to be in this field and pursue it and how grateful I was for it. And she was just patiently listening to me and nodding. And I finally took a breath and she kind of looked at me and she said, you know, you're manic, right? And I said, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, you said this could happen if I got put on antidepressants. And you know what? I feel great. And if this is the way that I feel for the rest of my life, uh, I'm totally fine with it. This is great. I'm 100% okay with it. This is fine. And she tried to caution me about the dangers of mania and what could happen. And what goes up must come down and I was like I'm on an antidepressant how am I going to get depressed and it took I think about a week for me to become depressed and I crashed into the deepest depression I've ever known I could not remember what I had heard from the lectures long enough to write a note on the paper and I remember going home in the evening and my parents asking me what I had learned in class that day and tears coming to my eyes and saying, I can't remember. And them being so angry with me over that and thinking that I was just not wanting to talk to them about it. And... I felt like I had concrete boots on and concrete gloves on and everything felt so hard and I felt so slow and I just remember just wanting to die every day because everything felt so unbearable and difficult and 
once I finally took myself off the medication, it got better, but I still struggled for the whole rest of nursing school with the symptoms of bipolar and all of my other issues that I had, um, just not at the level that I did while I was on Effexor. Um, I really should have been hospitalized, um, because, uh, before they put me on the antidepressants, I was, uh, I was hallucinating, I was hearing voices, I was seeing things, and I was barely sleeping, and they wanted to hospitalize me. They wanted to put me in an inpatient facility, and I said, I can't do that. If you put me in an inpatient facility, I'll lose my spot in nursing school, and it will be an entire year before I can reapply and go back, and I can't stay in my parents' house anymore. I was fighting for my life on so many levels at that point. And it worked. Um, around the time that I started nursing school, I had the idea that I wanted to be a trauma surgeon. And I held on to that dream um, throughout nursing school and past nursing school. And health problems prevented me from pursuing that as a career, but it became a bigger dream for me to hold on to that kept me motivated. And I think so much back on that time of the people along the way, my biology instructor, several of my nursing instructors who motivated me and supported me and encouraged me. And I think back on the people who didn't and in a way, they also encouraged me because if there's one thing about me, if you tell me I can't do something, I will prove you wrong. I will do it twice and take pictures. And my parents told me that I couldn't be a nurse. When I brought it up to them shortly after my dad was out of the hospital, they said, you can't handle that. It's long shifts on your feet, and you're having to move patients and do all this stuff that's really physically hard, and you can't handle it. You're too weak, and you have too many health problems. And I said, well, can you at least just let me go to CNA school and just see if I can handle, you know, that part of it? You know, the hands-on patient care. Can you at least just let me try? And they agreed to that. But they said they thought I would hate it. And that I wouldn't be able to handle it. That it would break me down. And so I had that as an extra motivation. To prove them wrong. And then I had several nursing school instructors. Who told me that I wouldn't make it. And I didn't have the mindset to be a nurse that I thought more like a doctor. And I should, since that was my intended career goal, that I should just quit nursing school and go on and go to med school. Just get like a degree in biology or something. And I knew that my parents would never let me do that while I was living in their house. So I needed a career where I could support myself outside of their house to be able to pursue the career that I wanted. And no one understood that because I was pretty quiet at that time about their abuse and the environment that I lived in. And mostly because I didn't have anywhere to go. And if it got back to them that I was talking about how awful they were to me, then they would have kicked me out. Or they would have abused me even more. And I had nowhere to go. And I did not have the means to support myself. I didn't have a support system. And so I kept it pretty quiet at that point in time. Um, I remember 
when it was time for our pictures for graduation and we all had our nursing uniforms on and we were lined up to get pictures one of the girls who had been in my clinical groups was standing in front of me and she said I see your dad posting stuff on Facebook all the time tagging you in it about how proud he is of you it's so sweet you must have a really good relationship with him I said no not at all he's actually really mean and that was the first I had really said that to anyone and I was kind of shocked at it coming out of my mouth as easily as it did and everyone just kind of looked at me like in shock and disbelief and that was the end of the conversation shortly before I started nursing school when I was taking anatomy and physiology my prerequisites I had come home and we were learning about bones and the spine and things like that and I was very excited about what I learned I always was very excited about anything I learned in A&P and my parents had went to the chiropractor I had finally talked them into going to the chiropractor for all their aches and pains and my mom had scoliosis they diagnosed her with scoliosis based on x-rays and my dad was explaining what the x-rays had showed and um he said that they said she had a lateral curvature of the spine i said oh she has scoliosis he said no he said very definitively she does not have scoliosis I said, that's what scoliosis is, though. And I was like, look, I just learned this today. And I opened my book to show him. This is, see, scoliosis, lateral curvature of the spine. And he started yelling at me about how I was a know-it-all. And I didn't know more than a doctor. And that was what the doctor had said. And I shouldn't be arguing with him. So I let it go, and I went to take a bath, and I could hear him yelling at my mother, not at her. He was yelling about me, about what a know-it-all I was and how arrogant I had become. And the thing is about my dad, among so many other things, my dad has always fancied himself a doctor. He has always prided himself on his ability to diagnose anything and determine the cause of anything and fix anything. Somehow he has decided, based on no evidence or experience, that he knows about everything to do with the body. And me going into the medical field was a threat to that. When I had a bacterial infection in my colon that is known to maim and kill people, he told me that I had food poisoning and he only questioned his judgment when my parents found me on the floor in the hallway, unable to get up because I was in so much pain. And they took me to the ER. And found out that I did not, in fact, have food poisoning. He always dismissed every sinus infection as just allergies. That it wasn't really a cold. It was just allergies as if he had some kind of magical indicator to determine what the source of the sneezing was. And just multiple things like that. He was always trying to act like he knew more than everyone about topics that he really had no knowledge or experience in. And medical things were a big one. And I think that was one of the biggest catalysts to him deciding to hate me was that I threatened his area of expertise that he actually was not an expert in. And after that incident, 
He was yelling at my mom. I got out of the tub and he didn't say a single word to me. He really didn't speak to me after that. Like for the whole first year of nursing school, he barely said a word to me. That we did not have conversations at all. He barely spoke to me. And about halfway through was when I finally arrived at the conclusion that I did not need his approval anymore. I didn't need him to be proud of me. And I remember telling my biology teacher that, that I didn't need his approval. I didn't need him to be proud of me anymore. And I realized that I was never going to get that. And it didn't matter. I was fine with who I was. I was proud of me. And as soon as I made that realization, it was like he had some kind of radar saying that he was in danger because he immediately started fawning. And it was like, once I was no longer seeking his approval, he knew that he had lost his control of me. And he tried so desperately to get back that control by making all these Facebook posts about how much he loved me and how proud he was of me. And he would buy me really expensive gifts and things like that. And it was quite honestly pathetic. From a place of no longer needing his approval or desiring his acceptance to see that level of fawning when he couldn't even be decent to me, it was pathetic. And it disgusted me, and it drove me even further away. But I did finally graduate, despite all of the trauma and abuse and mental illness. And when I did, I moved out um, a few months after that, closer to my work, um, and I was going to uh, university to finish my bachelor's degree. I have an associate's in nursing. I was going to university to finish my bachelor's degree, um, in pre-med. And I moved very close to my work and my school so that I didn't have the very long commute that I would have living with my parents. And my dad stalked me. For the first year that I moved out, he insisted on having a key to my apartment and multiple keys made for all of my family. And I had not yet developed the backbone to set boundaries to say no to that. And he would show up at my apartment unannounced at very weird hours and times during the week and during the day. And insist on coming in, you know, oh, here, let me bring this in for you. And it didn't matter how much I said, oh, no, please, it's a mess. I don't want you to see it. He would insist and wouldn't take no for an answer and force his way inside. And it was terrifying, honestly. He would show up at my work and I was working night shift then Um you know, under the reason, oh, I'm bringing you food, you know, he'd bring me uh, sandwiches or um, donuts for me and my coworkers, and they loved him. They all loved him. They thought he was great because he was always bringing food, and it was so uncomfortable for me to have this abusive man stalking me and fawning all over me and everyone around me thinking he was great and being so terrified of what he was going to do or when he was going to show up. And he finally quit stalking me when I moved out of that apartment. 
Um, he would still show up places occasionally, but at that point, he and my mom started going to the church that I was going to. So they could check up on me once a week then. And it took a really long time for me to be able to cut those ties and set actual healthy boundaries. And honestly, it didn't really fully happen until the pandemic. And as awful as COVID was, it happened. It's such a good time for me. And I hate to say that because COVID was horrible and I have such horrible PTSD from my time in taking care of COVID patients. And it was awful. But in a way, it saved me. I quit going to church two weeks before the shutdown happened and so no one noticed that I wasn't there because the first week I had an excuse I was taking care of a friend who was recovering from surgery and the second week I went to a different church I went to a Unitarian Universalist church and the week after that everything shut down and it didn't open back up for a good six months um, the church that I was going to and I was able to make excuses about not seeing people because COVID and I didn't want to infect them. I was working with COVID patients. And so I didn't see my family for over a year. And it was the best year of my life. I healed. And I quit being scared all the time. And I quit needing to make excuses for them or anyone else. And I was living with some very wonderful people at the time. Uh, one of whom has recently committed suicide. Um, he was the owner of the house that I was living in. And he was also a nurse. And he saved me from... My toxic ex-best friend who I had been living with, he let me live with him for almost a whole month, um, rent-free, just so I could be safe and get out of there. Um, but he is, he is gone now, and there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about him. And wish he was still here. <laughs> he was also a nurse and he worked very closely with COVID patients and I think burnt out much sooner than I did because he worked much more closely with them and more with them than I did. COVID was the worst thing I've seen. And that's kind of one of the weird things as a nurse. Whenever you work in healthcare at all. Everyone wants to ask you what's the worst thing you've seen. I guess get asked that a lot. Because I work ER and trauma. I have for the majority of my career. And people always want to know what the worst thing is that you've seen. And whenever I hear that. I always get these like flashbacks of things that I've heard because it's not what you see it's what you hear and I hear women screaming because their husband is dead or their child is dead I hear the mama screaming carrying in her son who had been shot the gang member was trying to kill his dad begging us to help her baby I hear the woman Telling the doctor who had just told her her husband was dead that sorry didn't help her because she didn't have a husband anymore. But now when people ask me what the worst thing is that I've seen, I immediately have an answer and it was COVID. 
the virus and the disease process in and of itself was horrific. Watching people drown, suffocate, being unable to intervene. Having to put PPE on children so they could sit in the ICU and watch their parents die. Watching people bleed out of every orifice because COVID has a very strange coagulopathy involved in it that causes people both to clot and bleed in very abnormal ways. Seeing people just crazy with oxygen deprivation agitated and unable to be reasoned with. It's a horrific disease. It's a horrific way to die. But it wasn't just that. When COVID hit, suddenly me and all of my well-trained professionals that I work with became heroes. People put up signs and sent us food and cards and handmade gifts and care packages and gave us free stuff. And then a month or so into it, we became villains. We were part of the problem. As if we had anything to do with legislation, as if anyone ever listens to nurses or the people who actually work in healthcare when making any decisions politically related to healthcare. But it was somehow our fault. I lost friends. I lost even more friends when the vaccine came out because I advocated for it. I was skeptical of it at first and I made the decision to get it, to be one of the first to get it as it was offered to healthcare workers first because I felt that as a nurse there is a long line of tradition of healthcare workers, doctors, nurses, people working in labs, letting themselves be guinea pigs or on the first line to receive treatments or vaccinations to make sure they're safe for the public. And I felt that I had a duty and a responsibility to be a part of that and I would not impose that on anyone else, but I felt it was mine. And so I got the vaccine and I posted my symptoms as I, you know, for about a week after I got each one so that people could know what my experience was and lost more friends then because then I was just a shill for big pharma and I went from being a respected professional to being a hero to being a villain In such a short period of time. And there's nothing that can really explain how that feels. There's no words to really describe it. There's no words to describe the feeling of walking into a hospital in a weak old N95 mask because your hospital won't provide you with adequate PPE and found out later that they were hoarding them in the basement and telling staff that they didn't have enough. But N95s are only supposed to be used for two hours and then discarded. So walking in with a mask that you knew wasn't really going to work through a line of administrators clapping for you and telling you you're a hero and thanking you for everything you do, knowing fully well 
you are vulnerable to exposure because they won't provide you with what you need to protect you and people who brought in their own either had them confiscated and thrown away or were fired one night I was working rapid response and I coded a patient and it was an unsuccessful code we were unable to resuscitate the patient they died and I was immediately called to a stroke alert in the ER and so I went down there for that and assisted with that and was wearing my regular simple surgical mask in with the patient as was standard walked out of the room found out the patient was COVID positive so I had been exposed walked into another room in the ER after changing my mask because they were coding someone there walked out of the room to an administrator handing me a stale cheap tasteless cookie saying thank you for everything you do I walked away from the hospital in January of 2022 because I could not find anything in me to keep going back to that place after everything that happened the last two years. I went to work for hospice for a while and then went to work in surgery. And I have recently regained my love for critical care and acute care. But I don't think anything will ever get me over what happened in those two years. The amount of death and suffering was unlike anything I've seen before and I hope I never see again. The amount of politicization of a health crisis it was horrific and maddening and you just wanted to take everyone collectively by the shoulders and shake them and say this isn't political stop making it political and it wasn't just one side it was both sides everyone had to make it political and decide that it was about government and control and this or that or the other and it's it was a health crisis and no one wanted to do anything to just buckle down and try to make it better all anyone could seem to focus on was their own agenda their own desires their own whatever And people just kept dying. I don't regret becoming a nurse. I think if I had known COVID would happen, I would not have. I don't think I would have willingly walked into that. But... This is why we can't see into the future. Because I think I needed to be where I was when I was at the time I was. And perhaps the reason will be clear later.
with that, that has been my journey in nursing. I wish Happy Nurses Day yesterday and a Happy Nurses Week to all of the RNs and LPNs and nurse practitioners and everyone who is a nurse. And I hope that your hospital gives you more than just a lame pizza party and crappy office supplies with the hospital logo emblazoned on it and I hope that they do not spend the budget on events that you can't attend because you're taking care of patients and can't actually go see the movie or participate in the three-legged race or whatever silly things they come up with that don't do us any good. This has become more and more a thankless profession. No wonder often what Florence Nightingale would think if she saw it today. She worked very hard to ensure that nursing was viewed as a profession on its own and that nurses were no longer viewed Simply, it's doctor helpers. I do not think she would be happy with the climate today. And the labor abuse that happens to nurses throughout this country. So, if you are a nurse, my hat's off to you. I raise my glass to you and empty it immediately, as you probably would too. If you know a nurse, love a nurse, give them some extra love this week. Nursing has always been a difficult profession, but it has become increasingly difficult over the last three years, especially with the mass exodus that happened related to COVID. This episode is a little bit different than my usual ones, but I hope it has been helpful for you who are listening in some way, and I hope you'll join me next week on the podcast as we both continue to work on our mosaic in progress.